you both the best It's your happiness that matters most of all But if he ever breaks your heart If the teardrop ever starts I'll be there Si te quiere de verdad y te da felicidad, te deseo lo más bueno para los dos. Pero si te hace llorar. A mí me puedes hablar y estaré contigo cuando triste estar. Welcome back, folks. A beautiful Sunday morning out there. I want to invite you to give us a call. We've got some open lines. And uh, the number to call Sal here at the Whitfield Nursery Garden Show is 602 277 5827. 277 KTAR. And you can be up after Melanie. Good morning, Melanie. Hi, Brian. Good morning. I'm calling this. Good morning. It's, it was beautiful this morning. Cooler. Out with the dog. Real nice. Um, we will see a little cooler coming up. <laughs> but, um, I'm calling this morning. I'm concerned about my, I, I think of it as a pet almost, because it's been around for about 20 years. Um, Australian bottle tree. Grew it from a seed from my brother. And um, I reached out to the University of Arizona Extension Service Master Gardener Program for mm-hmm. Maricopa County. And that was super cool. Thank you for telling us about that. Um, and got to visit with um, one of the master gardeners and learned a lot about trees and plants and watering and things that you're saying are, you know, similar kind of things, um, but more specifically to my tree. But I sent in some pictures and he said that um, I was concerned that it had uh, root rot mm-hmm. because my hose bib has been. Um, watering the lawn pretty consistently for the last couple weeks. It's fixed now, so we're good there. But um, he said that the tree is looks to be sunburned and to continue to deep water it. I'm wondering, um, should I also put some Monterey disease control down? It wouldn't or, hurt, but, you know, um, bottle trees are very susceptible to root rot, but if you had root rot in your soil, um, it would be a dead tree already because they're an indicator crop that we used to grow when we had to certify farms, you know, for for root rot. So if you had root rot, the bottle tree would never be there. So it's a good thing that you probably don't have any root rot in your soil. So I wouldn't be overly concerned. I'm sure that the foliage, you know, in some of the woods, probably a little bit sunburned. And, uh, you know, that's pretty common for bottle trees. And around town, they're really burnt. And as far as watering, though, they don't need to be watered all that often. And, you know, if it's a big bottle tree, as you're describing, and you say it's in lawn too, Melanie? It's in lawn, okay. and it's about twice the size of my house, and I measured it 61 inches around at the base. Okay, so it's a, it's a big guy. It's a good old friend. Yeah. So anyway, it, it's probably a little burnt. Most of them in town are. You know, there's something about 115 and 118, 119 yeah. <laughs> that they just don't like. But they're a very adaptable, drought-tolerant tree. And three years ago, when we had the really terrible weather in August, 
Lots of them looked like as if they were going to perish, but most all of them recovered. And I was surprised. I thought they were gone because they lost all their foliage and burnt, you know, all the way down to the, the, where their foliage was all gone. But anyway, um, you don't want to water it too often. You know, in addition to your lawn water, I'd say if you'd water it once every two weeks with a hose and uh, water okay. it deep, that's plenty. And it really doesn't need any more than that. Okay. So um, the plot twist is the tree that was in the lawn, a purple plum, uh, before this tree, so uh-huh. about 23 years ago, uh-huh. um, did die of root rot. It probably didn't die of root rot because it's grafted okay. to a really hardy rootstock that's pretty immune to roots of root rot. It probably, okay. uh, you know, succumbed to another problem, but not root rot. You know, and the purple leaf plums typically only live about 15 to 20 years. Oh, okay. Then that was a natural occurrence. Well, um, all things in life, nature. you know, Mother Nature is really yeah. kind of tough because I guess we got to say that this heat's natural occurring too. <laughs> sometimes yeah, sometimes we have to be a little more aggressive at home than uh, what nature, you know, affords us. We have to make things supernatural, I guess. <laughs> okay, well, I will I will go with option C, which is don't be so kind because I have seen the plants flourish on that advice as well. So, uh, well, well, especially especially be- bottle trees, Melanie. We, you know, when we were growing okay. them in the field, we had a field down in Yuma. We were growing them thirty or forty years ago, and we were flood irrigating them. And our best irrigation cycle for the time summertime was once every twenty days. Wow, we okay. got the best growth that way. So bottle trees are very desert, you know, adapted to hardy tree from Australia, and um, and they're going to come back. All right. Well, I feel like a bottle tree expert after speaking with you and the, the <laughs> University of Arizona. Well, so, yeah. they're, they're a great uh, resource, the Cooperative Extension Service. And what's nice is they, they have so many master gardeners that, you know, work as part of the program now that uh, they really work it together. And, you know, our combined knowledge is always a lot better than anyone's. The tr- it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And you pointed me in that direction, so I really appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Melanie. Have a nice weekend. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Well, that leaves us with wide open phones, folks. Sal's not going to think you love him unless you call. You know, the number to call, 602-277-5827, 277-KTR. We could talk about what to grow, how to grow it, where to grow it, why to grow it. We could talk about what we want to feed. And we could talk about, you know, what's really loving this weather. There are plants out there that are just flourishing right now, especially desert trees, mesquites, palo verdes, ironwoods. Now, that's not without having a little extra water. So if you want your desert trees to flourish, give them a little extra water right now. And even the native trees that you have in your yard uh, will really benefit from just one good irrigation. You know, we haven't had any monsoon yet. We haven't had any rain in months. A few places we've caught, you know, a half an inch or inch here and there. But uh, the ground's so dry, it's just gone. So whatever we can do to help these plants is a big deal. You know, and especially with golden barrel cactus, I was driving down along 52nd Street the other day, and there was two entrances into a commercial building. One side was watered. The other side wasn't. One side, the golden barrels are beautiful, and the other side... They're probably dead. So if you've got golden barrels and other cactus you don't normally water, now's the time to change the norm. It's a great time to water. And remember, when we water, we want to water deep. You know, our water here in the valley has a pH over over 8, you know, up to close to 9 sometimes on our drinking water. And so that's pretty salty. And if you water with a drip system for a short period of time, you're not pushing water down very deep. And because it's so hot, our plants are taking all the water out. So they're picking up this salt and they relocate it to the ends of the leaves and we get burnt leaves and different problems caused oftentimes by the salt.
So to basically avoid those problems, we want a deep water, water for a long time. You know, you could take your drip system and run it on a double cycle or triple cycle even and space out the irrigation to your plants to do much better. You know, really any plant that's been planted here that's a, you know, more of a desert type of a plant doesn't need to be watered more often than once a week if they're established, been in four or five years or more. But when you water that once a week, Keep in mind you want to water as deep as the plant's root system is, which for most trees is going to be three to four feet. For most shrubs would be 18 inches to two feet. And then you want to water about at least half the width of the plant's shaded area under its canopy. And if you'll do those things, it'll really help them, especially this time of year. Uh, next, we've got Chuck in Glendale. Good morning, Chuck. Uh, good morning, Brian. Hey, I got some uh, citrus that are planted in rock, and they got, they're in a drip system. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And I want to dig wells around those. Okay. How much of that can I dig underneath there without damaging roots? Well, it depends on how you've been watering historically, Chuck, and you're going to find that out when you start digging. So, you know, oftentimes with citrus, a lot of the roots are really close to the surface, okay? And we have what's called a root flare, so that's where the trunk comes out and goes into the ground, and then the, the roots flare out to the side from that. But if you've been watering with the gyp system on a, on a frequent, you know, schedule and not very deep, you're going to have a lot of roots up there on the top. In which case, if you want to build a well, you'd be better off building a well up around the tree and not cutting and damaging those roots this time of year. Okay, if you do want to change it, you know, and dig a well down deeper uh, and dig through some of the roots, that's not going to hurt it. But it's just too hot right now. The best time to probably do that would be next year, like in April. Um, But if you want to just take dirt and build a berm around, um, you could do that. But you're going to really have to, you know, just dig down and see where the roots are. But, you know, in our citrus orchards that that we irrigate with drip, you know, our roots are very close to the surface. Yeah, that's what I was afraid of. Yeah, I think they're probably close to 20 years old, and they've been on drip the whole time. Yeah. Well, you know, how do you run your drip normally? Uh, It's my my daughter just bought this house, and Uh I think it it runs like every day. I'm trying to get it switched over to once a week, but... uh, Yeah, that would be better. That's why I want to put the wells in so they can just do it with a hose. She said she'd do it with hose. Well, you know, I, I think the drip systems often, you know, we certainly don't water, you know, hundreds of acres of citrus with a hose, but, uh, and we don't use flood uh, irrigation on that grove as, and we're going to convert our other one over to drip too, because we save a lot of water. But, um, there's not a problem with the drip, but if, if it's running off away from the trees, uh, you could just build a berm around the outside and, uh, or you could just go out and dig a trough that's kind of, you know, say about a foot or two inside the canopy and just dig a trench out there. You're not going to have, you'll have roots there, but not as many. And uh, it doesn't have to be very deep. If you dig it, you know, four or five inches deep and just make a circle out there that's inside the canopy of the tree. So when the water starts to run off away from the tree, it gets captured and stays in where it needs to be. But, um, you know, like our drip system that we run in our groves, we run it for 12 hours with two heads that put out 10 gallons an hour each. And we run that uh, weekly. Okay. I'm not sure. They got sprinklers. They got a little patch of grass, too. So uh-huh. I have to, I, I don't know if we have two separate systems or. Well, I'm sure that, the, the, you know, the lawn should be on some type of a sprinkler head. That should be a separate valve from the drip valve. But, um, you know, this okay. isn't the time to be real proactive changing things up a lot. The only thing I would think about changing this time of year would be I would probably go from every, if it's running every day, I'd run it twice a week. And I would just take all the time that it's been running for that twice a week and throw it into two irrigations. So I would just combine the time and that's going to push the salts down deeper. 
So maybe not mess with the wells till this spring. Yeah, be better. Um, you know, and actually it's good in the spring. You want it to be warm because if you want the trees to actively be growing and rooting. And, you know, normally we plant our citrus orchards in July. I'm glad we didn't plant any this July because we would have had a hard time keeping them healthy. But, uh, you know, citrus are pretty resilient and they typically like the heat, but they like heat around 105, not 115. Yeah, I've got, I've got seven or eight of them here at my house, but. They're all, they got a bunch of brown leaves on them. They're, two of them doing pretty good, but. Uh, well, out in our groves, the large trees, the older trees, uh, didn't really get burnt at all. Now, we hedge those back every year to reduce their size so we can harvest lemons. But like our younger blocks of lemons that are three or four-year-old trees, uh, they're pretty singed on the outside. And the difference is, is where they're at, you know, their spacing's like on a 25-foot grove spacing. And so they have a lot of open soil around them. And uh, because of all that open soil, and they reflect the heat off that soil. The young trees are pretty burnt on the outside, but they'll recover. Yeah. Well, you planted a Meyer lemon for me about three years ago, and it's uh, it hasn't. It's only grown about a foot high, foot higher. I don't know. It's like it's like five foot tall. Mm-hmm. Was it but a fifteen I, gallon or what size was it? Uh, yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. But I get like. 40 lemons off that every year. Well, they're pretty amazing how much fruit they have. You know, when we first planted our groves, we didn't think they got very big either. And so we planted them on a double spacing, a 12 by 24. And uh, now we're wishing that we hadn't because all of a sudden they kind of kicked in and they've really grown a lot in the last last few years. But, um, huh. you know, if it's not growing very fast, I just fertilize it more regularly than the other older citrus. And it doesn't hurt to feed them once a month. I wouldn't do it right now as hot as it is, but as soon as the weather breaks a little bit, I'd feed it. You won't necessarily have to wait till Labor Day. Yeah, because I was kind of concerned, you know, it's not growing, but I'm getting more lemons than I can use. So. Well, they're pretty amazing trees that way. They don't so have to what? be real big to have a lot of fruit. Chuck, i got to let you grow because yeah. we have to take a break, but have a nice weekend. Thanks, Brian. Thanks Bye-bye. for the show. Thanks for being part of it. Uh, we'll be right back after the short break with the Whitfield Nursery Garden Show. While we're gone, we do have a couple lines available. A number to call, 602-277-5827, 277-KTAR. It's knowing that your door is always open and your path is free to walk. That makes me tend to leave my sleeping bag rolled up and stashed behind your couch. And it's knowing I'm not shackled by forgotten words and bonds and the ink stains that are dried upon some line. That keeps you in the back roads by the rivers of my memory. It keeps you ever gentle on my mind. Well, thanks, Glenn, but the lines are full, so we're going to have to answer some. Hey, it's pretty hard to cut off Glenn Campbell. What what a wonderful person he was. What a wonderful part of our valley here as well. Uh, Let's see. Next up, we have uh, Sarah and Scottsdale. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Brian. How are you today? Oh, enjoy in the morning. Good. Thank you again for your program, and I've called you several times, but I have two interesting opportunities for you to help me solve. Okay, we'll give her a try. (laughs) So one of them is there's some kind of a, I think it's a squirrel, that is burrowing in our flower beds and back in our pool area, making little tunnels and holes. Okay. And do you see them coming out during the daytime? 
Well, yeah, like it originally started with just kind of scraping away like it was building a little nest, and then there was a hole, and then there was kind of a tunnel under an old dead tree. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he's covered it back up. Do you think he's hiding food in there? Absolutely. And that's probably like a rock squirrel or a bigger squirrel. It's not a little ground squirrel. So, you know, there's yeah. a lot. I see a lot more squirrels in the valley recently than I've ever seen in the past. And um, well, they're sure a lot more fun than rats. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's funny because he started in two different places in our yard. And then eventually I found him in um, a bed where we could actually observe his behavior. And I'm like, He's probably not hurting anything. He's probably just burying something for the fall, I would assume. Well, they'll collect all different kinds of things, and they don't do near the damage. Actually, the little ground squirrels, uh, we call them ninos, little boys, and they, uh, they'll they do more damage to plants than uh, the rock squirrels do. Cool. Okay, the second thing is, of course, a couple of weeks ago, we had a storm come through, and I live in the PV area, um, 50th and Choya. And unfortunately, it took down a lot of branches off of one of our old 25-year-old mesquite trees. So we've taken every branch off, and we now just have a trunk with a couple of arms hanging out there. (laughs) And I'm thinking it's going to come back. What do you think? It'll absolutely come back. Uh, You know, if there was any younger wood on it, that might burn a little bit because it's, you know, not shading itself now. But all the barked wood should be fine, and it should be coming back already. I mean, if you pruned it, you know, a few weeks ago, you should see new buds coming out now. I would water it real heavy one or two times and uh, stand back. And then what do you think? Should I throw some Monterey disease control on it, too? No, they don't usually have the problems with fungus on mesquites that other trees might. You know, that, that would be more important for, like, a ficus. But the mesquite tree, if you just want to water it real heavy, it'll, it'll come right out. Okay, cool. And thanks again. You helped me with my poinsettias a couple of weeks ago, and last year you helped me with a Brazilian chili. So <laughs> thanks for all of your information and knowledge. We appreciate you. Thanks, Sarah. Bye-bye. Uh, Janice in Phoenix. Good morning, Janice. Good morning. How are you? Oh, enjoy the morning. Oh, thank um, I have a question. I have two old, I, uh, okay, see if I pronounce it correctly, Coculus lorifolia. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm in a condominium complex, and everybody has them in their carports. And it seems like mine is the only one that's all shriveling up and dying and the leaves are turning black and falling off and I've been watering them I think maybe I'm over watering I've been watering them like once a week for about 30 minutes no that should be pretty good I mean depending on how much water you're getting out in 30 minutes it might not be enough for a big plant well they're about maybe seven seven feet tall something so like that they've been cut back pretty heavy might be the years they just were getting, unmistakingly yeah at a bad time yeah, and well, uh, so long that's time ago yeah but anyway they'll, they'll come back out i mean they're pretty hardy they're about the same as a citrus tree as far as hardiness goes mm-hmm. and um i don't you know i think that you know burning and blacking you know getting some damage on them is pretty normal for the heat we've had um, yours is probably just getting more sun in the location than their neighbors. But as long okay. as you're getting water down, you know, two, three feet deep and about as wide as the canopy of the tree when you water weekly is plenty often. Okay. And so it wouldn't be if they're, the leaves are turning black and falling off and everything, it wouldn't be because overwatering. Not Not watering it weekly. I wouldn't think so, no. Okay. Okay. I'll just uh, wait for the 
hot weather to get over with. And when should they start uh, leafing out again, do you well, think? Well, you know, if we had a monsoon, that would change everything for a lot of these plants. Um, okay. And if, it, if your wood's all exposed to the sun, if the leaves are pretty much all burned off it, you might want to throw a piece of shade screen over it, um, you know, until it starts to bud it out again. Oh, it, and it really only gets sun... Um, there's a space, they're in my carport, and there's a space up on the roof area between the roof and the carport that's like maybe three feet wide. And it only gets sun maybe, you know, like a hour, a couple hours in the day. Well, then it should be okay. That You know, the nice part about that is in the woods probably not going to cook either. So it should come back yeah. in Janice. Okay. Okay. I'll wait it out. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Uh, Brian in Phoenix. Hello, Brian. Hello. How you doing? Oh, nice morning. Yes, yes. So I've got a uh, couple acres of lawn with flood irrigation here in north central Phoenix. Mm -hmm. And one particular section has always had these, uh, for lack of a better word, white fungus sort of bubbles that just sort of pop up all over the lawn. And they look like they're white, but then when you touch them, they, like, explode into black dust. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. mushrooms or basically a fungus. You could take that Monterey disease control and spray on them, probably kill them. Monterey, sorry, can you repeat that? Monterey disease control. It's a bacteria that eats fungus. Okay. And, and you could put it in a hose-in sprayer, you know, so you can cover a bigger area and just go out yep. and spray on that area, and it should take care of them. I'm surprised they're okay. as, as common this year with the lack of humidity we've had, but, uh, you know. Yeah, some, it's actually a little less this year, but they've been there every year, and you are correct. It's a little less this year, but they've been uh, all over this one section of the of the lawn for a while now. So, Well, give, okay. give them a little shot of juice. That'll get rid of them, Brian. Sweet. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, Eric at Mesa. Good morning, Eric. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I am calling about some 10-year-old Japanese privet that's been doing really well until July. Mm -hmm. And now they're scorched. I mean, there is no green on them whatsoever, and the bark is starting to peel off on some of them. Should well, I start planning to replace them, or do you think? Yeah, you know, it might be a better idea to replace them. And you know, our sour, I mean, our privet hedge at home is, you know, it's been getting in bad shape for the last twenty years. And I think what we're going to do is just put a sour orange hedge in. And uh, you know, the citrus hedges do very much the same thing, but they're a lot hardier than the Japanese privets are. And especially for a hot summer like this, and ours has started looking, you know, less attractive over the last few years. So we're just going to take it, take them out and change them and plant the sours. The sour orange grow about as quickly as the privet did? A little bit slower, but they're a little bit easier to maintain. But they definitely take the heat better than the Japanese privet do. With them being an orange, are they edible? Uh, yeah, they're edible, but here in the valley, people don't eat them so much. When I was young, we used to pick them. We would send all the fruit to uh, Canada that make marmalade out of them. Uh, they're pretty tart. Okay. But if you shear them the right time of year, if you prune them in, in March, you really don't have much fruit on them. But they're they're much hardier okay. and, and uh, will do a lot better. I'd hold off and wait and pl plant them though. Probably about the end of the month. Plant them at the end of this month. Yeah, the end of this month. You, okay, you, you want to plant them while it's still warm, so they've got something to grow on. And normally, we'd be planting them right now, but with with no rain in sight, I'd wait. Eric, thanks for the call. And uh, Mr. Troy Barrett's in the studio, so it's time for the news. We'll be right back after the news. In the interim, if you'd like to give us a call, Sal's here on the phones at 602-277-5827 with the Whitfield Nursery Garden Show. 
went riding out one dark and windy day. Upon the ridge he rested as he went along his way. But all at once a mighty herd of red-eyed cows he saw plowing through the ragged sky. And up a cloudy draw. Their brands were still on fire and their hooves were made of steel. Their horns were black and shiny and their hot breath he could feel. A bolt of fear went through him as they thundered through the skies. He saw the riders coming hard and he heard their mournful cry. Into that. So, sorry, sorry uh, let's see, we got Waylon Jennings and uh, Willie Nelson and Glenn Campbell. Not Glenn Campbell. <laughs> anyway, Chris Christopherson, and you guys know the other voice. Anyway, we'll get right back to the phones. We do have a line available, a number to call 602-277-5827. Um, see, Dennis in Peoria. Hi, Dennis. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I have a couple Arizona ash trees that are uh, just looking like they're dying. They're probably oh somewhere seventy percent of the leaves have turned brown. And I, I've, these are mature trees planted as twenty four inch box trees nineteen years ago. So they're they're big trees. Um, I, I I've been here all this time watering the same way. I have wells around them. I fill the wells about once a week. Uh, stepped up the water in here recently, thinking you know because of the hot weather that's why they're dying. And, and is it possible to overwater them or what? what no, I- once a week's good. It probably didn't get enough water at the beginning of the heat, you know, and you probably didn't start watering more till you noticed it burning up. But yeah. uh, what I would do, Dennis, is I would. Uh, Keep the water up on a weekly schedule, no more often than that. And I would pick up some Monterey disease control. I've done a lot of advertising for those guys today, but what it is is they can get a fungus too and city canker and different problems. So if you put mm-hmm. that in the next time you water, it goes through the tree systemically and can help prevent some of these fungus problems that might show up you know, in the wood because the wood's compromised with the sun. Um, well, I actually had some of that from, uh, I called you a while back about another problem with some citrus, and I, or one of the plants, anyway, I bought some and I had some left over. I used it probably 10 days ago. Oh, that's good. Uh, how often should I continue doing that? Oh, maybe maybe once again, another maybe like another 10 days from now. So about every 10 days for a while? Well, okay. better every 20. I mean, if you put it on 10 days, go wait 10, put it on oh, again. okay, so every 20. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, uh, what about like Super Thrive or any kind of root Super stimulator? Thri- Super Thrive would definitely be a, an enhancement that would work well. And if we get any kind of monsoon at all, a light dose of fertilizer would do well, too. Okay. So, so, but wait till we get some monsoon rain before. Yeah, we, we get, if you're, get some temperature down, you know, 105, yeah. you know. This this one, the one, the, the largest Arizona actually probably got... 
No, eighty percent of the leaves are browned out. Uh-huh. Uh, do you think that thing's going to live through this? Uh, probably. You know, you might have to cut it back this next winter and reshape it. It might lose yeah. some of the wood. Yeah, um, it, it, it's a huge tree. I mean, it's it's like twenty some feet tall, probably. Well, you can imagine, it's, you know, yeah, it's uh, a big 20, old 20 tree. Years in the ground. Yeah. Well, and then the old foliage on it, you know, it does kind of help protect it a little from the sun. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it's it's been a tough year for him. And the problem was, it just didn't get enough water when it first got that hot. You yeah. know, a lot of the Fantex and Fan West Ash around town look pretty good still. But um, yeah. you know, when it, when they can't get enough water, it's tough. But the the well watering is probably the best way to do it, right? I, I have these wells around each one. The wells are probably six to seven feet circumference, uh-huh. uh, and uh, I fill the wells, and they're 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 pretty deep, and the wells are. It's not down deep in the ground. I mean, the wells have, have some pretty good berms around them. Uh, I, uh, they're they're pretty much on the ground level, mm-hmm. and I I add dirt to them because the rabbits like to dig in them to get in the soft, uh, wet dirt to sleep, you know, to get out of the heat, <laughs> sure. I guess. But uh, but other than that, you know, I just keep adding dirt to it where the where the rabbits dig away from it. But uh, uh, I don't suppose it's like we had a lot of. Uh, squirrels around here. I don't suppose they, they chew on the roots or anything, do they? No, no, they're not going to hurt the roots. Gophers would, but uh, uh, but not squirrels. I've seen little holes that are probably about as big around as a quarter or half dollar or something. Mm, those, those, those are probably Palo Verde beetles. Okay. Do and, they hurt and, well, yeah, they have a grub that goes down and feeds in the roots, too. I and uh, so that grub, when it's down there feeding in the roots, uh, basically limits the tree's ability to take up water, so they would hurt. Yeah. Uh, you might you might drench those. You might pick up some, um, oh, like an intimate chloropid, like a grub control, okay, and drench that down into the soil next time you water. And um, you could also pick up some Talstar. And drench that down the holes at the same time. One's a contact killer, and the other's a systemic. But that wouldn't be a bad idea. And then what I would do is just double up on the watering, so you can really push it down in there more. Okay, so water like every three or four days. Well, no, water two or three times the same day. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, I see. But so do the once a week watering. Just do more of it. Just do more of it. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. need to be any more often than that, but more of it. Okay, I'm probably when I'm doing that once a week watering. I'm probably filling those wells and keeping that trickle all day long, so I, I keep that well, no, that's, well full for several you know, hours. And, and that's great, and that that's all you need to do. They don't need any more yeah. than that. Okay, okay. I make sure I'm not overwatering this. Oh well, yeah, that, you're not. Ash are pretty hard to overwater. They kind of grow riparian areas. You know, when you when you see the Arizona ash, like the rootstock for all those trees, it grows in Arizona between four and six thousand feet elevation, and mm-hmm. pretty much in rivers and washes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks for the call. Okay, well, thank you very much. Bye bye. Bye now. Uh, Larry and Waddell. Good morning, Larry. Good morning. How are you doing? Oh, enjoying the morning, Larry. Nice air conditioned studio. Here. I can look at the mountains. I used to hike as a kid all the time. Pretty hard place to be. I still do. <laughs> I still do. Yeah. I love it over here. I'm over here on Peoria Avenue. Uh, my question is they're, they're going to extend the Peoria Avenue where I live and they're going to take 14 of my. Trees, uh-huh. mostly citrus. I got pink grapefruit and lemon and Arizona sweet and Valencia and neighborhood. You name it, I've got it. But they're over 40 years old. And what my question is, when can I, Maricopa County is going to pay for it, but uh-huh. I have to replace most of those trees. So my question is, when to do it and how big of a tree can I buy? Well, it depends. I mean, you know, we've we've got some bigger ones, but for the most part, about a thirty-six inch box tree is the one that we have most common, and uh-huh. and you know we're gonna, we're transplanting out of our groves from big navels, and um, you know, and they're young. They're they're not old navels, but they're pretty big, and those will be like uh-huh. in a sixty-inch box. Um, uh-huh. 
But um, I'll tell you what, if you would, uh, Larry, if you'll hold on the uh, the air here, then basically I'm going to put you back on hold. And okay. I'd like to talk with you about your whole program a little more, a little more length. And I'll, I'll give you good. a call. I'll give you a call back after the uh, the program, and um, and that way Sounds we can good. talk. So Sounds I'm going to put you back on hold right now. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So Sal, just get his number. Uh, let's see. Next up, we've got uh, Barbara in Phoenix. Hi, Barbara. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. I have two bougainvilleas that are over 30 years old, and over the years, nothing has killed them. Even when I've cut them down to the almost to nothing, uh-huh. um, and they're dying on the left side. They're in, and it's slowly spreading to the right side. Is that the west side that's dying? Yes. Okay, so they're just not getting enough water. And, you know, it's amazing. Even my bougainvilleas, I was out at our farm in Hyder two days ago, and we've got bougainvilleas, which I've never watered, you know, and uh, we're going to water them once. <laughs> normally, oh, normally, them. normally we get enough, you know, water off of our roof to take care of them, but we haven't this year. Okay, they're in full sun, mm-hmm. and I water them twice a week for um, 30 minutes, and then I let the water system cycle through and redo itself so they get an hour of water twice a week. Do you have any idea how big your emitters are? What size? Um, I just have wells, and they fill up. And Oh, they do fill up. Okay. Yeah. So you're getting quite a bit of water on them. So I think it's just the heat stress. I think they're going to come back out, Barbara. Okay. You know, I wouldn't be too concerned. If you wanted to cut them back, you could. I, I would wait, though, and see if we get a little monsoon. Okay. Or at least if we get weather down to about 105. And, uh, okay. you know, if we do that, which is normal weather for this time of year, uh, then you could prune them back and they'll come right back out. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, let's see. Stephanie in Scottsdale. Hello, Stephanie. Good morning. I am just wonderful. How are you doing? Oh, enjoy the morning. Me too. Nice being in this air conditioning. (laughs) Yeah, thank God. Um, I have a design issue, and I was wondering if you could help me with some suggestions. Okay. I have a rental property uh, at uh, Cape Creek and Union Hills. Pretty small backyard, and um, it has power lines along the backside. Mm -hmm. So uh, my renters would like us to put in, we are going to install uh, a strip of grass back there for the kids, uh-huh. and they'd like a couple of trees. Okay. Okay, so we're, we're very small, okay, so, um, and she can't have any desert trees. She's allergic to them. So we have an issue with getting a tree too big to go into the neighbor's yard, uh, an issue we don't want to get into the power lines, which are to the far side. They're on the back side, specifically on the east side, but at the side, you know, back. Uh-huh. And we have to have trees that will allow grass to grow under them. So I'm trying to think of maybe a couple of small trees I could put in there, but I just can't find something that I think would suit. Maybe I'm asking. You know what would be kind of a nice area. tree for a, pl- a spot like that would be a raywood ash. Okay. And I wouldn't plant them right now. I'd wait and plant them in October. But the yeah, raywood, raywood ash is a, a compact, smaller ash tree. It, it is deciduous, so it will let the light come through in the wintertime. And, um, you know, and typically they don't grow much taller than about maybe 15 to 20 feet tall. And they're usually What's a the little, width? well, they're usually a little narrower than they are tall. 
So I, I would say an average yeah. size raywood ash that's 10 years old would be probably 15 to 18 feet by 12 wide. And they're kind of a lollipop shape the way they grow. And yeah, I'll look them up. Yeah, so that would be a pretty good tree for you. Um, okay, good. You know, you could also, if they wanted to, you know, like in a yard that size, um, plant like a lemon tree, put it over in the far west side of the yard, and it'll get big enough to give them shade. They can always prune it back, but, uh, you know, lemon tree will pretty much grow to 20 by 20. But if it's planted back in the corner, they get a few lemons on it, and uh, it also would uh, provide shade if they wanted a fruit tree like that. Another tree that would be... Uh, Evergreen, too, that is easily maintained is like a Swan Hill olive. And the Swan Hill olives are, uh, you know, they're an olive tree, but they don't have the pollen. They don't have the, the much, you know, no fruit almost at all. And uh, but they're a very hardy evergreen tree that, uh, you know, an olive tree can get up to probably 20, 25 feet, but it would take it a long time to do so. But still makes a very handsome tree, and as it gets bigger, well, the problem is the tree won't grow as fast as the kids do, so <laughs> it, it won't make a climbing tree. If you're starting with a three-year-old climber, you're not going to have, by the time he's 12 or 15, it's it's going to be not going to be as big as he is. But, uh, well, it sounds to me like any of these trees are going to have to go more into the middle of the small yard. Well, they'd be better if you put them back into the corners. Okay. You know, but left the I middle more open for the lawn. I worry about them growing into the neighbor's yard, so I'll try to accommodate for Well, that. but these are all trees that will trim really easily, you know. The, now, the, okay. the one that would be the best for the center part of the yard would be the raywood ash, you know, because that one you'll have a no, canopy of pine of. Yeah, I don't want to go in the center of the yard, so yeah. I'd rather do one, one, but I don't want to deal, like I said, with annoying the neighbors either. Sure. So, okay, well, you've given me several good uh, ideas, and I'll... I'll look them up, and you come out and plant all these for me, right? Absolutely, Stephanie. And, uh, you know, the thing is you probably want to keep them about 10 feet off the walls on the side so they don't go to the neighbors. I don't think we (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty tight yard, eh? A lot lot, lot of lots are nowadays, Stephanie. But, uh, yeah, come in and see us so we can show you the different varieties and how they grow and what they'll do, too. Okay, great. Thank you. Thanks, Stephanie. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, we're going to take a short break. While we're gone, we got one line open. The number to call, 602-277-5827. Sal and Brian here with the Whitfield Nursery Garden Show on 92.3 FM, KTAR. Welcome back, folks, and I uh, take a minute to invite you out to Whitfields. You know, Whitfields, we grow trees. Started with my grandparents back in the 40s, continuing today for four generations. If you need trees, any kind, any size, come out and see us. If you enjoy the program, come out and see us. 
Now it's a paid program. I used to get paid in the radio 30, 40 years ago, but now I got to pay. So, hey, it's your support that helps us to get these things done and be able to be here. Our original store is at 824 East Glendale with the East Valley at Cooper, which is the same as Stapley and Guadalupe. Or 2647 East Southern Avenue, Southern Avenue, straight south to Sky Harbor Airport. Woodfield Nursery for four generations, growing trees here in Arizona for Arizona's future. And now is the perfect time to plant desert trees and palms. And if you need them for a commercial development, we grow them by the thousand. Woodfield Nursery just out having fun. Okay, back to the phones. Ray in Sun City West. Good morning, Ray. Good morning, Brian. Thank you for taking my call. Question, we have recently moved to Sun City West, and there are two large citrus trees in our backyard. One is an orange and one is a grapefruit. Now, the neighbors tell us that you can't eat the fruit because it's so bitter and sour. Is there anything we can do to help reverse that taste? Or Well, I, you know, I don't know that any grapefruit's going to be that bad that you can't eat it. Um, there's a different idea in taste and flavor what people like in grapefruit. Marsh White's the old right. common one here. Is there any fruit still on the tree? Um, it's just now starting to grow new fruit. Okay, but the old the old fruit's all been removed. The old fruit is gone. It's been dropping a few real bad, you know, disintegrated fruit. Okay, so there because some of the grapefruit there could still be some that would be decent on the tree. Um, you're going to have to wait and see what the variety of the oranges are when they come out, mm-hmm. and um, okay. and that's going to make all the difference on you know what it's going to be. You're not going to change the the flavor of the fruit much by fertilization and that kind of thing. You know, that's okay. going to be pretty much set by the genes and the, and the variety of rootstock it was grown on. Um, mm-hmm. So hopefully you enjoy the fruit. Um, but you're, you're just going to have to wait, Ray, to see what you have. And uh, okay. don't, don't always trust the neighbors. There's a lot of different tastes in citrus that people like. You know, I really like marsh white grapefruit, which is a white one that ripens much later. You know, and then Oro Blanco is the first one that ripens, and it's white as well. And one's real sweet and one's real acidic, you know, because one has one is when they made squirt. That's where squirt came from. So there's a lot of different uh-huh. flavors. And I, I would just be patient, wait, and see what they do this year. And then you can call me back when it's citrus season, like in January or February, and we could talk more about it. Okay, but there's no uh, there's no there's no panacea. There's no big cure that you're going to put on them. A normal fertilizing you know process for those guys. The next time to feed them is Labor Day, but it's Labor mm-hmm. Day, Valentine's Day, and then Memorial Day. Okay, one other question. We just recently planted a couple of um, um, trees, little trees in between and they are not doing well they're losing ficus trees is what okay. they are and they're losing all their leaves and everything it's is been a really difficult can... summer especially for young ficus um uh-huh. so you want to make sure that they're pretty well watered young trees at least twice a week okay okay and you could wrap them with some shade cloth if all the foliage is off to kind of prevent okay. any of the wood burning and then the other okay. thing to do with them, there's a product called Monterey Disease Control, which I've never talked about it as much as I have today. But what it does, uh-huh. it helps to prevent them getting sooty canker. And so it might be a okay. good idea to apply some of that to them right now. Okay. Very good. All right. Thank you so much for all your help. We certainly enjoy your program. Well, have a nice Sunday, Ray. Bye-bye. You too. Thank you. Uh, William and Goodyear. Good morning, William. Good morning. Hey, how's it going? Great. I have a quick question. Um, is there such thing as a plant-based potting soil? And if so, where can I get some? Well, most all potting soil is plant-based because it's all made from organic material. Now, whether it's made from sawdust or green waste or, you know, all different kinds of things, um, you know, there's there's 
pretty much all organic-based pot, you know, potting soil. And, uh, in fact, what we have to do when we're making soils, we have to get the nitrogen up because it's all made from carbon. And so that's going to be the primary, you know, ingredient in all potting soils. Gotcha. Uh, do, without, like, the manure? Well, now that, that, none, uh, of, none of those are going to have manure in them. I mean, typically they don't. You know, when we're making compost, okay. you know, we like to add chicken manure um, to our compost. And uh, it's a little bit of a problem right now, William, because our supplier, Hickman's, um, doesn't have the manure business anymore. They sold that part of theirs off, so we're waiting to see what we're going to come up with for some packaged manures that we could add at home. And, uh, you know, and the cow manure things can be kind of salty, and it'd be good for specific uses, but, uh, you know, it just depends on what you want to use it for. But because they're higher in salt, they're not, not as good. Well, I'm trying to start a fruit and vegetable garden. Okay. And I was just wondering what would be the best organic plant-based soil to start with? Well, organic, you know, is, is it can be a lot of different things. Um you know, we're looking at bringing in some other organic material now because we're running out of our chicken. But um, if you want to add, you know, for adding, uh, you know, some nitrogen and, and phosphorus to it, those things are good. You know, animal-based, you can use uh, blood meal and, and uh, bone meal. And those are pretty available. And those are going to build the soil up organically. Would would do a pretty good job for you. Fish emulsions work really well, too. They're just going to be kind of expensive if you're doing a very big area. Um, and those are going to be all... I was trying to stay away from. Yeah. I think I was trying to stay away from the animal. Uh, yeah, so pretty much, I mean, the problem with most, well, most most things is you break them down. You know, you have so much carbon, we don't get enough nitrogen in there to to balance it out. And so we need nitrogen sources. The chicken manure is the one that, you know, we've relied on. And uh, we're going to have to find more about getting a source for it right now. And I'll, I'll probably know more in the next week or two. But uh, we're trying to do that because we have to replace it. We used to have Hickman's, which was a great source and a local company to get that chicken manure from. And uh, we're working on it right now. So, you know, if you call me back by by next week, I'll probably have some answers. It's just something that's in transition right now. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, last question. What is what what's, um, some good fruits and vegetables to start with in the season that we're in now? Well, we're going right into our fall planting season. So you can plant all kinds of things. So, you know, pretty soon you can start planting all the broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, kale, all, all those different kind of things. You can plant onions and garlic and, you know, all those things. We're just running into that season. So now is a great time to, to plan on planting a garden over the next few weeks. And, uh, you know, you could even grow tomatoes and peppers and start those again, um, you know, here pretty soon. As soon as this heat breaks, you know, usually August is a good time to plant. Perfect. All right. Well, I appreciate your time. All right. Thanks. Thanks, William. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you. Have a- uh, Joanne, James, and Mike, I'll take you off the air. Appreciate all the calls today, folks. Hope you enjoyed the program. And, uh, you know, if we work together and the, the, the good Lord's got the whole world in his hands, uh, maybe we won't have so many wars. We'll be back with you next Sunday with the Whitfield Nursery Garden Show.